on now. Hey everybody, uh, sorry about that. Uh, Facebook kind of glitched out on me there with our scheduled uh, live stream. Anyways, uh, so I'll give everybody a few minutes to um, pipe into this new new link, which has probably messed everybody up. So just let me know you're here in the comments. At least a few people will be here and we can get started. Um, with this morning's sermon, I think Facebook is just being overloaded with uh, with all sorts of live streams on a Sunday morning, which is a good thing. So, um, so anyways, tune in uh, to this particular video. This is also recorded and available um, for you know on on our Facebook page. So if you are viewing this later, that's perfectly okay. Um, that's why we have these resources available. So um, I'll just give everybody a, a couple of minutes to get in here. I see at least one person here and a couple people. Sweet. Um, yeah, so we'll be in the, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 7 through 13 this morning for this morning's sermon. Good to see. Good to see people's names. Um, you can see me live from my study. So, well, let's go ahead and get started uh, with uh, this morning's sermon. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. I'll read that text for us. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. This is God's word. It's entirely true and it's given to us in love. Let me pray and then we'll jump right in to our study this morning. <clears throat> Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, those who are listening and watching, would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock in our Redeemer. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. So it feels weird with this particular text, um, looking at a passage that implies movement and activity. When we were, when we're for the most part, all of us uh, stuck inside and uh, have no place to really go, or uh, we're not interacting with a whole lot of people nowadays. But I just want to encourage you before we jump into this text to see this as a time of incubation for your soul. And when we do reemerge from this, we'll be, as the pastor Samuel Grimke said in his address to his congregation in similar times, better Christians, ready to be sent out anew with the message of redemption in Christ. 
So I said last week that Jesus's ministry and the church's ministry, for that matter, is a ministry that takes place within the context of unbelief. So Jesus goes from being rejected by his very own people, some of them related to him uh, in verses 1 through 6, to just experiencing the, the unbelief of the world firsthand. And even from people who were very close to him, people who thought they knew him. And then in our text this morning, we have him sending out his disciples to proclaim belief in the kingdom of God. In the same context of unbelief. Nothing has changed there. So I was reminded of just how pervasive the context of unbelief is in our own day. In a YouTube clip I I saw a couple of weeks ago, right when uh, all of this started happening and we started to, uh, all of the policies were put into place for us to stay home and how to stay safe and and all of those things, uh, a YouTube uh, clip was released by a number of celebrities who were singing the song, uh, John Lennon's song, Imagine. And if you know anything about this song, you know that it is uh, a song that is that is uh, imagining a world where all people get together and where all people are working together to make it a better place. But the first line of the song starts like this. Imagine there's no heaven. So essentially, imagine that there is no God. And that this is all we have. And they were holding this song up as an anthem for our time, the time in which we are currently in, which is basically an anthem of hopelessness, imagining a world that has no sovereign God or imagining a world that has no sovereign God is somehow a better world. It's a context even that we live in, that even in the midst of a global pandemic views the killing of the unborn as an essential service. And this is the context in which the disciples of Jesus are sent. It's no different than our day. Now, I have to say that these verses are not necessarily a prescriptive to how we should do ministry as the church or as disciples of Jesus. Jesus isn't calling everyone to go on mission without food and without money and without a change of clothes. But I will say it is descriptive to how Jesus calls his disciples to live as ambassadors in this world. And he shows us this uh, through uh, the calling of his disciples to this particular mission in these seven verses. And so I, I just I, I labeled them as descriptors, three descriptors that Jesus gives to his disciples as he sends them out on this mission. The first is the mission that he sends them on in verse seven, and then the mode in which he sends them in verses eight through eleven. And then the message that he gives them to proclaim in verses 12 through 13. So first, the mission. Look at verse 7 again. Mark writes, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. 
Now, this particular mission has been a long time coming. If you were to look back at chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, Jesus calls the 12 to come and to, and to walk with him, to be discipled by him. He, he says that he will make them into fishers of men. And then in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, uh, Jesus or Mark writes, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, which means they are sent out by God, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And so here in our text this morning is where this particular mission that Jesus has been preparing his disciples to go on begins to take shape. Now, what's interesting to note here is that the mission that Jesus sends his disciples on is prescribed in the Old Testament scriptures. This isn't just something that Jesus came up with out of thin air. This is this is the the prescription that the Old Testament gives. So sending his disciples out two by two actually conforms their mission to the biblical principle that a testimony should be established by at least two witnesses. And we see this in the book of Numbers, chapter 35, verse 30, and in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17 and chapter 19. And it's something that we see continued uh, throughout the, uh, the, the, the New Testament church or the early church. And so we see, see that in the ministries of Peter and John and Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. And it's something that we continue to model even today. This is why <clears throat> if you were to be sent out to the mission field, particularly the foreign mission field, uh, you you are typically put on a team of people. You don't go by yourself. It's it's why church planters like myself uh, plant or should plant with a core group of people, not just the church planter and his family. So needless to say, mission is is healthier when you are doing it in community. Together for the sake of the gospel. That's what Jesus is doing here by sending out his disciples two by two. Now also what we see demonstrated from from the law is stated, the sent one is as the one commissioned. The sent one is as the one commissioned. So just as Jesus is sent into the world by his father, so too are his disciples sent by Jesus. And the way that we can can articulate this is to say that Jesus' disciples are an extension of Jesus' own ministry. Now, our churches should be an extension of Jesus' ministry as well. So in one of the most distinguishing marks of a church that is an extension of Jesus's ministry is not how famous their senior pastor is. It's it's not the size of their building. It's not how big their budget is. It's not how well they, they pull off programs for every age and stage in their community. It's are they faithful 
to hold up the person and work of Christ? Are are they calling people to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus? Boldly and clearly, week in and week out in every sphere of life. Are they doing that? Well, the second descriptor to how Jesus calls us to live as his ambassadors is the mode in which we are sent. The mode in which we are sent in verses 8 through 11. Look there with me again. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, the apostles are called to a specific mission that required them to be fully dependent on God for even their basic necessities. So no bread, no bag, no money, no change of clothes. So if you're anything like my wife who hates uh, packing for trips because she never knows what to bring, and then she winds up overpacking so that she has options, then I'll know that Jesus's packing list may make you a bit nervous. Take nothing with me? Just to, just take a staff with me? Just take a stick with me? Because that's what he says in verse 8. Take nothing except a staff. There's no Airbnb reservations available. There's no extra outfits that you are to take on your journey, no extra food, no extra uh, essentials that you are to take. You are fully dependent upon God's provision for you. So now to the ears of the disciples, even though this might make us in the 21st century a little bit nervous, we might think it a little bit crazy not to take any of these things with us. But to the ears of the disciples, this packing list does not cause them anxiety. And the reason being is they heard what they heard was the call that God has always given to his people to completely trust in him in every way. So what they were hearing was the echo of another time that God had called his people to trust him in this way, in similar fashion. From Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, and some of you may be familiar with that particular story, but it's when after all of the plagues have been placed upon the Egyptians, the final plague, the worst plague, The taking of the firstborn from every household is then put into place. But in order to be saved from this particular plague, God gives his people instructions to put the blood of an innocent lamb over their doorposts to save them from death. And in the midst of that instructions, he says to them, In this manner you shall eat, with your belt fastened, 
your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat with haste. This is the Lord's Passover. Essentially, what God is telling his people and continues to tell his people is you are to trust in me alone. Nothing that you take with you, nothing that you have, but to trust in me alone. And God still calls you to trust in him like this. There is never a moment in your walk with Christ where you are called to rely upon yourself. Look at, look at where we are currently at in our world. A microscopic virus has brought our world to its knees. It has essentially brought the world to a screeching halt. People have and will continue to die from this virus and get sick. Businesses will close their doors and never open them again. Many will struggle long after the curve flattens out from this virus. And we may think, or at least we thought, we had hold of the future. But the reality is... We really don't. And in that uncertainty, in that unknown, Jesus still says to us with confidence, take nothing. Take nothing. Essentially saying, trust in who I am and what I've come to accomplish. That's always the message, isn't it? To trust in the person and work of Christ. Not in anything we do or in anything that we possess. This is all he gave the disciples to go on. He strips them of anything and everything they could have derived comfort and security from. Well, verse 10 brings us back to the reality of the culture in which they are being sent. Jesus says here, some will welcome you and hear what you have to say. So there will be some who will welcome the message of the gospel. And the way in which they will know this is when those people hear it and then allow them to stay in their home, to show them hospitality. And then in verse 11, Jesus tells them that some will not receive their message. They will reject the gospel of the kingdom. And the way in which you'll see that is they won't let you stay in their home. And the thing that you're supposed to do when you leave that town is to shake the dust from your sandals. So this is important to understand because those who hear the message of the kingdom and then reject it outright are worse off than those who haven't heard the message of the kingdom and perish without hearing. So in Matthew's gospel of this same account, Jesus says these are worse than those who were in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two of the most wicked cities in history. No one in these cities followed after God. And then God sends a fire from heaven to destroy them, to completely wipe them off the face of the earth. And Jesus says here, those 
who hear the gospel and reject the gospel will suffer greater at the judgment day than Sodom and Gomorrah will. Now, this is a serious condemnation that should give us pause when we think about those who have have heard the gospel message and continue to reject it over and over again. These are probably people that you care deeply about that have done this. And yet they continue in unbelief. They, they continue to reject the truth of the Bible. Which means, just let me say to you, if, if you are rejecting the gospel, if you are rejecting the truth of the Bible, you are rejecting God himself. There's no way around that. It doesn't matter how tolerant you say you are. It, it doesn't matter how socially or politically conservative that you make yourself out to be. If you reject the gospel, you reject God. So those who have ears to hear, take heed of Jesus's final descriptor to his disciples, which is the message the sent ones are given. Look at verses 12 and 13. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. And this is why they went out with the message that they did. It, it's, it's the same message that, that John the Baptist came proclaiming. If you remember, uh, in, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he is preaching a message of repentance to prepare the people for Jesus' coming. And it's the same message that Jesus is proclaiming. If you remember in chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, repent and believe the gospel. So why? Why do they call people to repent? Isn't it enough for a person to just acknowledge God's existence and go on living the way they want because that makes them happy? Well, no. I was reminded of of this kind of line of thinking as I've been making my way back through our series in Mark and in the early chapters of Mark, that even the demons know who God is. The book of James says that, that the demons actually believe in God, but that does them no good to just believe in God or to know who God is. So it's not enough for a person to just believe without first repenting of their sins, acknowledging their own guilt before a holy God. And as believers in Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, as ambassadors of our King, as the church of Jesus Christ, we must be calling people to repentance. Acts 17 Verse 30 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So it's not based on a person's random choice to do so. 
it's not an indispensable command that is just relevant for some and not relevant for others. God is commanding all people everywhere across the world to repent of their sins and believe the gospel. Now, I know that word repentance has some negative con- connotations. I know growing up, for me, that word repentance was negative. It's gotten a bad rap over the years from kind of these uh, hellfire and brimstone types of preachers who, who like to, to raise their voice and, and, and shout repentance. Or, or you may have seen the word repent uh, held up on uh, cardboard signs at rallies and used as a weapon against whatever they uh, may be protesting at that particular moment. But let me just say that while repentance may appear negative, In the Bible, that is not the way in which it is painted. In fact, it is a grace and mercy of God that he grants you and I repentance. That he makes a way for us to to turn from our sins and be forgiven in Christ and be at peace with him ultimately. So why repent? It's because we are sinners. All of us are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. And Jesus brings us back through his substitutionary atoning work on the cross. So we repent of the sins that put Jesus on the cross and we believe in the work that was accomplished there, which makes us clean, which makes us holy before a holy God. That is the only way that we will be at peace. And this is why Jesus gives this message to his disciples to give away to others. Jesus wants the world to know that a way has been made back to God through him. So by sending his disciples shows that he wanted this message of God's grace and mercy to spread. Even in a culture of unbelief. Even in a culture that hates God. And runs in the other direction, even in a culture that wants to imagine a world without him. God sends Jesus in his grace and mercy to proclaim a message of repentance and belief, to proclaim a message of freedom. And not only that, we see in our text, he wants the world to experience the wholeness the healing that can only be found in him, both spiritually and physically. In verse 12, Jesus not only sends his disciples to proclaim repentance, but he also gives his his authority to his disciples to both cast out demons, to, to free people from spiritual darkness, but also to heal the sick, to, to free people from physical darkness. Jesus is expanding the borders of his kingdom through his disciples here in every way. He is is bringing the shalom of God, the peace of God to every sphere 
of life. John 3.17 reminds us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, you may be asking, how does this passage answer the question, who is Jesus? Because that's been our objective uh, throughout this study. And I think it answers it this way. Is that Jesus loves us so much that he gives us the privilege of entering into his work, his mission with him. And first, that starts through repentance and faith in him. And then he allows us as broken vessels to carry this message of repentance and belief into a broken world, into an unbelieving world, so that others, too, might experience this repentance and belief in him. I was reminded when I was thinking about this, how Jesus allows us into his work uh, when, when my youngest Uh, was about three years old he wanted to help me cut the grass and so as as a way of allowing him to help me in that way I let him uh, grab onto the crossbar that was right below um, the the, uh, the main handle of of the lawnmower and he helped me push the lawnmower around the yard now I didn't need his help honestly uh, but but I allowed him to help me Because I love him, and I wanted him to experience doing that work as well. But Jesus didn't need to send out the disciples. Out of love for them and out of love for the world, he wanted to do that. And he still wants to do that with us. To use the foolish to shame the wise. To use the weak to to shame the strong, for the glory of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that you have given us your word. God, we are thankful that you have uh, sent Jesus into the world to not, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God, we are so thankful that you grant us repentance and faith in Jesus God, I pray that we would be faithful ambassadors as your church to carry this message into an unbelieving world. And we pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Go in peace today, guys. Oh, <laughs>